In the worship folder, we have verses, starting at verse 18. But we'll read verse, um, verses 16 through 20 today. But first, let us pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are a holy God who we can trust. Father God, we praise you that we have a sure Savior who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And Father, we thank you for his triumph over death, hell, and the grave. And Father, we praise you for the opportunity that we have to be used in your service, to tell the world everywhere we go. <coughs> Lord, I pray that uh, as we get into your word, Lord, that uh, our families and the graduates, Lord God, that they will be uh, encouraged and built up. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, thank you uh, to all the graduates and the parents, um, or should I say parents, then graduates. Uh, thank you to the elders and, and Pastor Randy uh, and Pastor Dan, all right, <laughs> for the opportunity uh, to, um, to share with you all today. Uh, it's truly an honor and a privilege uh, to break the bread of life with, with everybody today. Um, we're in Matthew chapter uh, 28, verses 16 through uh, 20. Let's read. If you would, please stand with me um, as we read the word of God. And it says, Now the... Eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they had worshipped, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Everybody can be seated. May God add a blessing to the hearers and the doers of his word. So this is graduation season, and it's an exciting time for everybody. Um, My niece Jayla just graduated last week uh, down in Mobile. Uh, So we went down to her graduation. Um, She's going to Bama, so so roll tide. Uh, uh, She graduated from from my alma mater, so I'm I'm extra proud of that, uh, Murphy High School. Um, That's actually uh, the same high school that uh, Ms. Sharon Blackwell graduated from back there. Shout out. Uh, and her dad too. Uh, she shared with me, um, and I believe that uh, I believe that uh, Jim Bridges also graduated from there. 
So uh, go Panthers. Um, and when we were at the graduation, um, they started singing the school song. And for me, it was such a, a surreal moment of just like this, this nostalgia flooding back in. And I got really, really happy. Um, and I got all into it, and I was clapping. Uh, it's like, I'm so glad I go to MHS. I'm so glad I go to MHS. Singing glory, hallelujah. You know, I'm, I'm so glad. Um, and while I was singing, I was also holding Alex up in my lap, trying to keep him still while he was doing that little slump move the kids do, you know. <laughs> and uh, he got away from me. He did, but... Uh, <laughs> And I gotta confess something. In that moment when he did that, and I was, and I was sitting here fumbling with a, a kid, a toddler, uh, in his graduation, I had like one of the most selfish thoughts ever. I was like, I'm so old. Like, what's going on? It's, it's a, you know, that was like 10 some odd years ago. Um, and, and even though I'm, I'm only 28, I'm a good bit removed from that time in my life. Uh, since high school, since then, I've, I've learned a lot. I've, I've studied some, some really great theologians and read philosophers and, and, and studied uh, other religions. And I got a degree in Bible. Uh, praise God for that. Uh, <laughs> and I'm currently in seminary. Um, and so at 28, after all the learning that I've done, I found that after all that time that I was actually given the most profound words that I will ever know theologically, philosophically, right there on my mom's lap as an infant, as she was holding me, when she sang to me, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. These verses mean that, the, I mean, this song conveys the, the theology that the God, the king of the universe, chooses to love sinful, simple, weak, little old me. And he will come to carry me. Because he is good and faithful. I can stand firm on that love also because he wrote me a love letter that tells me so. It's songs like these that are simple, but they capture the beauty of truth personified in the person of Christ. Songs like, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I say, hide it under a bushel. You say, I'm going to let it shine. I say, hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, let it shine. Uh, 
graduates and to, to our graduates and our families, it, it's, it's highly likely that about 13, 12, some odd years ago that you stood right here in this sanctuary and sang that very song. But still, it's profound. And I'm, I'm sure if you close your eyes right now, you could capture that moment just a little bit in, this, in this, uh, the vivid pictures of your mind. And I hope you remember that feeling. I hope you remember the feeling of the truth of what Jesus, who Jesus is, sinking in to your heart. Concerning this little light of mine, Jesus also spoke in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. He said, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I pray that that, that little light that little lamp light will be in you. I pray that it would would become a torch in you that will will cut through the darkness of the brokenness of the world that we inhabit. With its transforming light, the light of Christ. Every day, in great and small ways. That light is the image of God. It's the image of God restored in you and pursued in your humanity. And though the good news, or through the good news of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, I got that from the Jesus Storybook Bible, I pray that you will know the love of Jesus, and that you would give that love away. For it is that love that is the motivation of the Christian life. It is the the, the reason why we go in what Jesus is telling us here. We all admire people uh, who are faithful to that great commission, right? We admire people who shine their light on the big world stage. And one person who I look up to uh, that just historical figure. Uh, this is a guy named Eric Little. And Eric Little was this guy who ran like the chariots of fire that the prophet Elijah was taken up into heaven with. His run was also famous for how silly it looked. He kind of ran like this. It was, it was really weird. Um, but uh, his, his parents were missionaries. And they served in China, and that's where he spent his early life. And in that time, he watched his parents shine their light by giving Jesus and his forever love to the people of China. Parents, our kids are watching us. So the news is in. So later, after returning to Scotland, Eric Little's life mission became the same as his parents, 
to obey and to glorify God in whatever he did, wherever he went. He's quoted as saying, God made me for a purpose. He also made me fast. His life mission was to carry on the torch of the Great Commission. Little did not count his gifted speed as a thing to be grasped, as a thing to be taken for granted. But instead, he saw that gift as a means of bridging heaven and earth, of displaying the glory of the restored image of God in those few seconds of that running euphoria. I pray, grads, that you will view your gifts the same way. Giving your time, your talent, and your treasure for the one who first loved you. In the 1924 Olympics, at the height of his career, Eric Little chose not to use his gifts in a way that that he felt would dishonor God by breaking the Christian Sabbath. Because the race that he was scheduled to run was scheduled on a Sunday. And at great cost to himself, embarrassment to his country, Little chose to love Christ more than anything else. And I believe that God honored his obedience because if you know the story, uh, in a harder 400-meter race, he crushed the record and he made everybody else feel completely bad about themselves in that race. And he did it all with his city, silly little run, right? He went on to serve as a missionary, and he died in a, a Japanese internment camp. And he died still giving Christ away to everyone around him. See, Eric Little's life is a beautiful picture of a life where the rule of that life is as you go, Wherever you go, whatever you do, treasure Christ, seek Christ, and help others to do so by bringing them into the family of God. See, Little ran under the Olympic torch, but he was running and carrying a torch and running a race that was infinitely more glorious than any Olympic gold. If I could borrow an analogy from Little's life to speak to you today, I would remind us all that we have a race to run. And we all have a cross to carry, a glorious cross to bear. And although Little's gift took him to the heights of Olympic greatness and Oh, yeah, Olympic greatness, because of his love for Christ, it came with a weight, a gravitas of hate and disappointment from his people, pressure to conform from people who didn't understand what he saw in this Jesus. And he missed an opportunity to crush another gold record in the 100 meters, which he was scheduled for. This was the cross that he bore. 
because he valued Christ more than silver and gold. And grads, as you're about to ascend to greater heights, it's my job today to tell you guys to spread your wings and fly. Grads, as members of God's covenant family, I pray that you will be aware of and cherish the crosses that you will carry into this next season of your life. And I pray that you will carry Christ's love into that next season and give him away to everyone you meet. This is the focus of the passage that we're looking at today. Love Christ and give him and his love away wherever you go. In this passage, the risen and glorified Christ offers three very weighty statements to us. Sandwiched together, there are two promises that he gives and a command and a charge. And we can think of these as three tongues on the fire of our torch. He gives assurance of his sufficiency. He gives, he, he assigns us a great commission. And finally, he asserts his abiding presence in the Holy Spirit with us. But before we get into uh, those, let's get to know the makeup of, of where we, where these, uh, the makeup of the soil where these seeds are sown. In the context of Matthew, this is the last chapter. And Matthew was, was writing this book as an evangelist. And an evangelist, that's a, a pretty uh, big word. Uh, evangelists are people who tell people about the good news of the resurrected Jesus. That's where we get the word evangelical. That's evangelical Presbyterian church. And Matthew wanted to paint a vivid picture for us of Jesus as king, the fulfillment of the Old Testament expected promises, and also that he is bringing a kingdom. And this kingdom community of disciplined learners is the church. That is a community of people who are visible and vocal representatives of himself. And from his condescension in the, the early chapters of Matthew to his birth, to his ministry of miracles and teaching and training through the passion and the resurrection, Jesus has led, uh, all that has led us in the journey to this scene where we're looking at today. This moment is the conclusion of Matthew's main point. Christ came as God with us, Emmanuel, having accomplished his uh, rescue mission through death, uh, th- it's through uh, rescue mission, uh, yeah, through death on a Roman cross, and his rising from the dead, which proved that he was exactly who he said he was. Christ as king is about to ascend to the throne room of heaven. And Christ, as the master teacher, 
is graduating his first class of disciplined learners to carry on the mission. And this is his graduation speech. As I pray, no, as I prayed and, and meditated uh, on what God wanted us to share with the graduates today, this actually seemed like the most important passage that we could have looked at. I believe that this passage brings an important message to the class of 22, just like it did for the class of 8035 in 1985. It applies through all space and time. And it contained a message for the apostles that would carry them through this huge transition season in their lives as Christ is about to go and I believe that Jesus, uh, and I believe that Jesus' keynote address has much to say to us today. As we're sending these young men and women out as sheep among wolves, and they're leaving, uh, you guys are leaving your mothers and fathers for the first time, this is a big moment for you. And in our passage, this was a big moment for the apostles as well for those 11 who showed up. Because a lot had happened since, their, since uh, in, the, in the last few months of their life. They had gone from 12 to 11 because Judas had betrayed Jesus and to, to death. And because he couldn't take back what he did, he took his own life. They watched the healer bleed. The storm calmer they saw stuck to a cross. The one who cast out demons was mocked by evil-hearted people. They watched him suffer and die. Now, he was more than back. He was more than back to life. And the women were bringing, bearing witness, and they saw him again in his glorified body. And, but also there was some opposition. The Roman guards and the religious leaders were telling lies to the people that the resurrection didn't happen. That opposition to the truth is also kind of akin to the opposition to the truth in the Garden of Eden. All that must have felt very overwhelming to these 11 men as they ascended this mountain. But instead of being preoccupied with persecution or collapsing under that pressure, they, oh yeah, that pressure, they end up going to be with Jesus, the one who is strong and kind. As they return to that mountain, probably this was the mountain that uh, Jesus first appointed them as apostles, Something is a bit odd feeling. This scene is not the glorious coronation of a king knighting his uh, faithful companions to a status of prestige. After all, Christ had finished his work and he had conquered death, hell, and the grave, and these were his guys. It's not a grand scene on the surface, but the presence of the resurrected Christ there transfigures it. 
He, tra- he turns that mountain into a glorious temple for the fire of the presence of God. The disciples were compelled to worship when they saw him, which means that to bow down your life, and they fell on their faces. Throughout Matthew's gospel, the mountain has represented the place where God reveals himself, of where, where Jesus tells who he is and what his kingdom is like. You have mountains that appear like the Sermon on the Mount, the mountain where Jesus prayed, the mountain of the compassionate healing and the feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000, and the mountain of transfiguration, the mountain where the fire, uh, this is the mountain where the fire of the holiness of God is displayed. Uh, just as the ancient Greeks believed uh, that the Olympic flame was taken from Mount Olympus, so we believe that our lights and our torches are lit on the mountain of God. And beholding the radiance of the risen Christ, we go and meet him there, and we're changed. I pray that you would go and meet Christ on that mountain and that he would set you on fire. So while I was looking at this passage and, and asking, you know, really interesting questions to myself, um, I asked myself this question, and I'll put it to you as well. Have you met the risen Christ? Not have you heard about him or have you studied him or know about him, but have you seen him? Because this is the starting point of reconciliation with God. This is the spot where humanity is restored and where we set, we're set on the pursuit, on a, and we're, where we're set to pursue God. Um, you can ask Jesus to bring you to that mountain now in this moment. And we remember verses like, praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it. Mount of God's redeeming love. I love Matthew's candor in this passage when he reports about this event. He says that they saw him and they worshipped, but some doubted. Some scholars say that there might have been uh, up to 500 people there, but in our text there, uh, or, or, and also that, that when Paul mentioned that he appeared to up to 400 people at a time, that uh, this might have been that scene. But here in our text, we, we have the 11. And it says, and, and these guys went on to become the leaders of the church. And I find it an example and also a comfort in a strange way, that they came to this final meeting with Christ without pretense. Like the early church father, John Chrysostom put it, even at this moment, even at this, uh, mount, even at this moment, they were determined not to conceal their shortcomings. In this community, oh, in his commentary on Matthew, uh, Thomas Long points out that 
here, the 11, as well as in chapter uh, 27, the the women, uh, with their mixed feelings of fear and joy, that they are a microcosm of the church. In other words, they represent... Oh, oh yeah. In other words, they represent... uh, Oh, yeah. Us and the brokenness that we come to Christ with. As we approach Christ's next words at this moment, I pray that we would take that posture of heart on for ourselves. Because it may be that the gravity of his words can only be rightly received when we come to him without wasting energy hiding our deficiencies. Let's be real with God. And for these moments, come to him with our worship, but also our doubts, with our wanderings and our duplicity as well. He's big enough to handle those. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. But some days I have more faith than others. I believe in his only son, Jesus Christ, our crucified, dead, buried, and risen Lord, who recovered God's good design for us. But some days I ask, what are you doing, God? And I wonder when and how sometimes in God's plans. And I'm reminded as I think about this, of this verse, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And into our brokenness, Christ speaks the truth of himself. He is truth personified. Pilate missed that because he thought truth was a construct. But I pray that we will receive him who is truth. And that that knowledge would cross the greatest distance known to man, the 18 inches from our head to our heart. Now to talking about that first tongue of fire. This is the assurance of his sufficiency. Christ begins by focusing on himself here. And the funny thing is that it almost seems like everything to do with the Bible always starts with Jesus. Like you can't really understand the Old Testament properly unless you start interpreting with Jesus first. Because it all points to him. He is the firstborn of creation. Colossians says that he is priority before all things because all things were made by him, for him, through him, and to him. We don't even love him without him loving us first. And I found that in my personal life, that after hearing and believing the gospel, that I didn't even love him until I loved and trusted, I I didn't even love the, the, the Bible until I loved and trusted Christ first. Even through their doubtings, the apostles were there on that mountain because they loved Jesus. And if we're to receive 
these commands love and love them and obey them, we must first fall in love with Jesus. He starts, to, he starts his conversation uh, by propagating the truth of himself. He pronounces his preeminence in verse 18. He says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And that, um, oh yeah, all on earth and heaven and earth has been given to me. And everything else that Jesus is going to say is going to be predicated on this statement. And the writer is highlighting both Jesus' qualification and that he is the fulfillment of Old Testament messianic expectation. That he's the, the, the seed of Abraham, that he's David's eternally enthroned descendant, Emmanuel, born of a, a virgin and the king of the Jews whom the Magi came to see. And we see him triumphing over sin uh, in overcoming temptation of Satan. And the second part of Matthew, um, he also displays his authority over sickness and he recognizes, uh, and the, uh, he, uh, yeah, over sickness, and he displays his power over demons and he calms storms and all to demonstrate his, uh, you know, the, oh yeah, the right, his right and his power to rule on earth. The, the Greek word for authority here uh, that he uses is this word exousia, which means authority to rule. And that he has the right and power to act, rule, and reign. And he gives... Oh yeah, and he gives that charge, he proxies that authority uh, to the apostles. And I was thinking about this, and I thought about the right that we have when it comes to telling, uh, coming and comes to telling other people about these things. And I, I think about this story uh, from high school that I had. Uh, when I played soccer, one day before a, a game, our coach asked me if I would pray. And well, you know, both teams gathered together to, to circle up, and, and I prayed, um, you know, in, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus' name, amen. And we shook hands, and at the end of it, um, there was this uh, really tall kid who walked up to me, and he said, what right do you have to tell, uh, to, to, to pray in the name of your God when, they, when one of my teammates is a Hindu? And I thought about that. And I, I wish he was watching the live stream right now because uh, I would say to him, I don't have any right in and of myself, but the right that I have to proclaim Christ is because of his right and authority that he gives to me, the one who is all powerful over heaven and earth. He can do what he wills. The torch we carry involves recognizing rightly and believing the truth about Jesus. All error and obedience to the gospel comes from something about Jesus that we don't understand or believe. And guys, I pray that you will remember who is with you as you go. And parents, I pray that you will remember that the sovereign Lord goes with your babies into this next season. And in, the great, in that great authority, Christ Jesus, 
he gives them uh, this light. And the, the, third, uh, the second tongue that we're looking at, he assigns a great commission. He is sending this group of men to conquer the world one heart at a time. And that's a huge task. And I get nervous just thinking about it. But let's break that down a little bit. First, he says to go. And go indicates that, uh, in, in, in the word for go here, indicates a continuation. Uh, and it's more like as you're going. And for me, I hate goodbyes. But sometimes going involves pain. And he tells us to go into all the world and to make disciples of all the nations. A disciple is a disciplined learner. That is a person who uh, studies the life of Christ. And oh yeah, that's a person who studies the light of Christ. Um, And and let's uh, to to discover what this this thing discipleship looks like. Let's take a few pages from Jesus' book. The first part of discipleship is asking God to help us with it. That is that we pray, we pray, and we pray some more that God will open up a door for the interest of the gospel. This is part of what we call pre-evangelism, where we, uh, and God will actually show at times that there are already opportunities in your life to bring the gospel to people. Then he says, uh, then uh, we go, and, and we live a life that is highly potent. And at the Sermon on the Mount uh, is a, uh, kind of a uh, description of the way that we receive uh, or, or that we are to strive for the conduct in our, the conduct of Christ uh, so that our life might be highly attractive to outsiders. Then just, uh, yeah, then we, we just go meet people. We love people. This can be as little as just building rapport. Jesus came uh, from heaven and to, to gather these 11 dudes. He went to the, the, the sea uh, to, to call Peter. He went to Matthew's work to call him. And I pray that we would take advantage of every opportunity that Christ gives us. And that we would go across lines of culture and creed to reach uh, the lost. That we, um, next... Um, Christ called them. There was a point in his relationship with everybody where all these 12, where he called them to himself. And we are given that same charge when it comes to us uh, going into the world. Sometimes because of fear of inadequacy or things like that, um, we shirk back from this responsibility but uh, I pray that we, we would have boldness in that. It also helps to have, uh, it also helps to have uh, some helps in that. And you can find simple gospel tools uh, that will help you to uh, very easily share your faith with others. 
Um, and we actually use one every week uh, here. And it, it pairs very well with something that Pastor Randy's going to be bringing out to us here in a, a few months. Um, we say that we believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. That God made this world good and that we departed from his good design. And that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. That Jesus came to restore the image of God in us. And that he redeems us into this family called the Holy uh, Catholic Church. That is this faith community. And disciple making is, is uh, and being a disciple is a lifelong process as we are broken people coming together. And Christ concludes his graduation speech with a promise of assurance of his presence, that he will be with them always to the end of the age. And this is yet another promise of the fire of God to all of us. That the one who came to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, like John said, will empower us by his spirit to walk the Christian life. And we see this in Acts chapter 2 when uh, the, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the apostles and he gives birth to this community called the church. But in that mission, in this mission, we're not promised lives without suffering, but we are simply promised that Christ will not leave us as orphans, but that he will come to us. And as you go, may the God of the universe be present in your midst. He is, and may he love and encourage and guide you, giving you faith to, uh, giving you faith and renewing your hearts. And I'll leave us with this verse. Though the cause of evil prosper, yet the truth alone is strong. And though your portion be the scaffold and upon the throne be wrong, yet that scaffold sways the future and behind the dim unknown standeth God with the shadow, keeping watch above his own. May you run the race that Christ has given you with endurance until the end. And may you carry your torch and run your race like chariots of fire. And let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us your son, who, is, who has all power over the world. And I pray that you would help us to trust him. Help us to fall in love with Jesus more than anything. And Father God, I pray that you would give us the grace to treasure him and to give him away to everybody that we meet. Lord, I pray that you would uh, fill the hearts of your faithful with your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with the doxology because I know we have good.